Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Perceptive Podcast where we examine the art and science of games. I am Josh Beister and we have another great cast for you this week. My guest is one of the designers and artists on the recently released adventure game Luna the Shadow Dust that features a hand-drawn aesthetic as well as a variety of puzzles. And she is here to talk a little bit about the design of the game as well as how it came about. So please welcome from Lantern Studios, Baidi. Hello, hello, Josh. Hi, everyone. I'm Baidi. I'm from Lantern Studio. I'm the lead artist on our game Luna the Shadow Dust. It is great to have you on. How are you doing this afternoon? I guess for my time. I know I think it's later where you are. Uh, it's still it's afternoon here, so I'm doing great. Um, our game was. Uh, launched last week, so now it's the fifth days after the launch. So we're still pretty pretty busy uh, answering loads of feedback and mm. uh, trying to reach out to the press. Mm-hmm. But we're good. Mm-hmm. And congratulations on the release of the game. For those Thank of you. you, no problem. For those of you listening to this right now, we did a spotlight of the demo for our January Spotlight stream, and I'll try to get a little bit more of a video review up for the game. But it's definitely been an exciting time for you and the rest of the studio, and I know that you have been working on this game for quite some time. So to get things started, since this is your first time on the cast, could you talk a little bit about your background and what is Luna the Shadow Dust? Yes. Um, uh, firstly, let me introduce our game a little bit to your audience. So Luna the Shadow Dust is a point-and-click puzzle adventure game in which you control two characters. They work together, a boy and a mysterious little creature that he met along the way to progress up the floors of an ancient magical tower. So together with them, the players will hopefully experience a unique adventure by trying to restore the balance of the light and the dark in their world. Also, uh, hopefully they will discover the real relationship between these two characters. Um, we will say it's also a game of finding back the uh, courage and hope. This game has been in development since 2016. Um, Finally, after four years long uh, development, it's finally out. Mm -hmm. And as I said at the start, you are also the art director on the game as well. Yes. And for the people listening, what is your background in terms of art and design? Uh, My background was animation. I studied animation when I was in university. After I graduated, I worked in a game company as a graphic designer um, for a couple of years. After that, I started my freelancing career. So I've been working in animation industry, um, book illustration industry from, I think, 2007. So that was... A uh, couple of days, a couple of years of experience into the uh, creativity industry before I stumble into uh, a game idea that um, finally we had a team. So it's actually our first game ever. I mm-hmm. haven't had any game design experience. I played a lot of game. I, I love 
all kinds of games, but um, to work together as a team, um, develop our own game, it is first time for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I guess that takes me to, I guess, two questions then. I guess the first one is, what kind of attracted you and the team to make Luna your first like fully realized title for the studio? Um, I think in the very beginning, we haven't really, we wasn't that clear about what sort of genre or what particular type of game we want to make. It all starts with a very simple idea, which is the original idea was based on one of my student animation film back in uni time. Uh, it was a story about a man who pilots the moon around as his spacecraft and also uh, the long-distance relationship between him and his family. Um, that's my, like, graduation piece. Since I... Um, but, like, after so many years, after I have that animation done, I still keep thinking back of the setting of the animation. They have an ancient tower. They also have a moon. I really like these two symbols from the animation. Uh, so this is kind of... Uh, I want to develop that particular setting of that world a bit more in my spare time. So I tried a little bit of uh, doodling and some very simple level design um, in my spare time. I just show it to my programmer friend Fox as a side project. I told him that uh, you are a programmer, so do you know anyone that who can you know throw a little bit of code inside? So we can just make a you know fun small game, uh, just to amuse ourselves. That's the starting point of the original idea of Luna. But since we uh, start to properly thinking about, okay, now we need a a complete story. We need to write down a lot of document. We need to design the character. So slowly, slowly, this one simple idea gradually growing to. The seed of what Luna the Shadow does has become now. Mm-hmm. And you said that the you started coming with the idea when you were in university. And I guess what I guess how did the team respond when you first introduced them to it? The team. Um, let me just briefly introduce our team a little bit here. Sure. So we have well, there are four of us. I am the art director on the team. We have Fox as our project manager. We were like friends since uh, way back to high school, so we know each other pretty well. Uh, Wang Guan, who is our programmer, he was the colleague of Fox at the time. He works mm-hmm. in uh, Ubisoft Shanghai at the time. Okay. So kind of uh, both of them are in the game industry. Um, then we met our fourth member, our music composer, Susie. Her husband was uh, their colleague at the time. So we kind of own loads of resources from Ubisoft <laughs> in a weird way. That um, yeah, that is how for us met. Then everyone, when they saw this idea, they just purely interested it for their own interest. I guess everyone wants to have an opportunity to make our own little game um, because we we've been working in industry, uh, game industry for quite a long time, but always on other project on other like a hundred people involved big project but to have a chance to work on something just for yourself it's really fun challenging and um, 
uh, independent, I, I would say. So I think that's what makes everyone really interested in this idea. So we can have a chance to do something for ourselves. Sounds great that the entire team was on board. So with that said, one thing that I definitely want to ask, obviously with Luna, you have this very interesting aesthetic, and I know it's all done hand-drawn. What, I guess, made you, or what tracked you to this specific aesthetic for Luna? The reason we choose to use full hand-drawn um, technique in this game is, first of all, this is my... Uh, background uh, professionally. So I am an illustrator and animator myself. So I do have, um, I would say, certain kind of confidence that I can pull this off because I have been trained in the professional field that uh, I know if I want to approach something like this completely by hand job, I know exactly how long it's going to take, how much of a labor uh, require me to put into. So it's, it sounds, it does sound daunting and it does require a lot of time, but I've done it before throughout my, um, career and my university training. So this is something I can calculate and I can offer it to the team. I can tell them, okay, so one level, if we need this many assets, how long is that going to take me to, to create? So we are not relying on outsourcing any of the creativity part out. Also, we are not trying anything that we are not comfortable, uh, confident with. Say, we don't want to just to start to learn a new program like 3D or try something that we are not uh, comfortable with to, to start. So uh, combine these two reasons, I think it's, it's challenging. It's very challenging to try design a game with completely hand-drawn but it's also um i really like anything hand-drawn as well mm -hmm. personally i feel it has a very tangible tangibleness towards it you can see each stroke you can see the texture you really feel like you can feel the emotion and expression from the artist my pers personally i really attract towards those kind of artistic styled game myself Mm -hmm. So if it was my time to make a game, that this will be my uh, first choice as well. Yeah. And as a consumer, I've always really enjoyed looking at that hand-drawn aesthetic myself. I grew up watching uh, cartoons and animated series, you know, as far back as like the 50s and 40s with stuff like Looney Tunes, the original Disney, and things along those lines. And it's always attracted me. I'm sure we could we could have like our... <laughs> Another like sidecast talking about you know the oh, yeah, state definitely. of animation. Talk about so. all the animations. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one of the more fascinating things, especially from the independent space this past decade, has just been a real explosion of creativity and unique aesthetics. I recently played through a uh, Greece, which was kind of like a. Oh, I think that was, I'm not sure if that was hand-drawn, but it was like one of the most like beautiful-looking 2D games I've seen. There was, of course, Cuphead that came out a few years ago that was that also did a hand-drawn look. And it's really fascinating to see indie developers really being able to push things from an aesthetic standpoint. 
yes, the two games that you mentioned, Greece and uh, Cuphead. Also, I want to add another one,、mm-hmm. uh, which is one of my favorites, Hollow Knight. Oh yes. Oh, these three games—they are like、um, I feel so blessed as a consumer as well、mm-hmm. to、uh, stamp upon games like that.、Um, especially, I am animator, so sometimes I just study their movement.、Mm-hmm. I、yes. just move the character up and down just to see how well those animation、uh, was created, and it's so inspiring for、mm-hmm. for me. Like seeing. There are still these games, and people are willing to spend so much effort into a game、uh, by using、uh, frame by frame animation. I think that's the the technical term they're using there.、Mm-hmm. So you draw everything frame by frame、uh, in each animation. So you can go as detail as you want, as expression as you like. So that's the beauty of、uh, frame frame by frame animation.、Mm-hmm. So.、Um, Inspired by、uh, animation and games like this, so I, I would definitely want to follow their, you know,、um, their lead and、uh, want to do something. Well, I, I, I'm not gonna compare our game towards them. They are like masterpiece. They are absolutely <laughs> wonderful. But I would love to try something similar as well. <laughs> and how they like? I was just talking to some friends of mine about the other night, and like. It's so strange about how quickly the industry moves. Like that game's only like a few years old, and like it's always something that we're more like, like just like thinking about. Oh yeah, it came out a long time ago, and it was only like just a few. It's years. It's only like three years. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I love Hollow Knight, and again, like as you were saying a few minutes ago, like you can really like just see like the work and the energy that goes into these games, and. Like Greece was one of those games that when I played it, I just had to like sit there, like almost like jaw like open, like jaw dropped, just like going, "Am I really seeing like this kind of aesthetic <laughs> in a video game right now?" I I know I was I know it takes it's gonna take so much time. I、mm-hmm. watched a lot of interview as well from all of their team. I just want to know how they achieve this.、Um, Obviously, they are slightly bigger team, but surprisingly, Hollow Knight only have very few people. I think three of them working、mm-hmm. on working on this. So this is even more、um, surprised and、uh, well, not surprised in a way, because I know there are a lot of、um, amazing animator.、Um, for some reason, the people who choose this career to be a Animator or who have studied animation are mentally prepared for any hideous job. <laughs> so we, we we like to torture ourselves by drawing things and making them move little by little. But I think they are very very patient people, and then they they have trust in themselves that they、mm-hmm. can slowly turn into this character、uh, into life.、Um, Yeah, so、um, I I really inspired by by game like this.、Um, when you see a game has been produced, not not only the gameplay is beautiful, the story is beautiful, the the, the animation is flawless. I just want to support them, so、yeah. I don't want to wait for the game on sale or something. I just want to buy them when they are in full price, just to show my contribution. 
Mm-hmm. Now, with something like Luna, again, with this kind of aesthetic, as we've said before, like, this is not something that you just, you know, walk into one day and decide that you want to make your game to look like this. With, like, the original concept, when, when you and the rest of the team were sitting down to come up with the design mm-hmm. and the overall look and feel, were there any other, like, different aesthetics that you were playing around with? Or did you decide on this one, like, relatively quickly once you started to get serious with Luna? I think we decide on the style quite quickly. Like, what does the character, what mm. looks like, what kind of... Um, a style we want to we, we choose for for this game because you have to decide them as early as possible mm-hmm. if you change this in the middle of the game the whole drawing the whole feel of the game will have a weird turn so you lose the continuity of the setting for for the whole game so we we decide that we're going to use a hand drawn slightly watercolored uh, uh color theme so slightly everything's bit washed but uh, have a very rich texture with the pencil texture drawing that you can see the grind in the lines these are the kind of thing we decided pretty much um, in very very early stage but how the the design of each background each level what do they look like even the story uh they have gone through so many changes, so many variations throughout the entire development. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so something we have to decide pretty much early on. But something else we can, uh, because we have to build a lot of, um, what do you call it, placeholder in, in, mm-hmm. in, in the middle. Say there is a level we cannot decide which theme to go for, whether it be a kitchen or whether it be a, uh, like a sitting room, we don't know yet. So we can temporarily place loads of just blocks, like placeholder, inside the level. At least we can design the puzzle around them. Once the puzzle is ready, uh, or the position is set, then we can sit down to to this design the final look of the room by using the style that we already decided a long time ago. So it's kind of mixed between these two processes. Mm-hmm. And with, again, with the hand-drawn, like, the actual animation, and, uh, like I said, like, we could easily, like, segue into, like, like a, just a cast separately about the art of the game. How long, like, does it take you to, like, come up with, like, the look and start, like, animating, like, a character or, like, a specific puzzle in the game? Mm, I think the part that took the longest time is actually to come up with mm-hmm. the um, uh, the the designed idea of uh, say I can give an um, uh, example say for example I want to make an animation that this character step on uh, on a stone so so the long the longest time is me trying to draw different sketches mm-hmm. of um, of this rough animation it's gonna take about say the whole animation when it's complete that's 12 frame so but i will spend almost a day just Mm -hmm. to try loads of sketches and see whether this animation this movement is smooth or not so once that has been tested time wise uh space wise it's all i'm all 
satisfied with with everything, then the actual drawing doesn't take that long because that's the my my speed is constant. So there's only how fast I can draw uh, on everything. So once the design is done, the the second part of the work is 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 quite easy. So I just follow my regular animation process. I draw all the outlines first. I check then I check all the outline animations, see whether it's smooth or not. I clean them up a little bit. Uh, then I start to coloring. The color sometimes it depends how complicated, how detailed we want this set of animation to look like. I will give them different layers. I will set the background in one layer, the character color in one layer, and some of the details like highlight on the face on the layer and color them three times. Mm. And- it, it is a lot of jobs. So this is <laughs> like um, we are talking about one set of character animation, and we have two hundred fifty individual sets of object animation, character animation, um, like particle effect, that kind of animation in the entire game. So it, it does add up. <laughs> <laughs> and as somebody who has no artistic ability whatsoever, like this just all sounds <laughs> fascinating, uh, just about like the sheer amount of work that goes into this. Uh, it is a lot of work. So we, we have as animator or any designer in in this field we have to train ourselves to not to think too much in the very beginning otherwise you got overwhelmed by the amount of workload you're preparing to face Mm -hmm. and this will this encourage you to even start anything because you just think oh i have to do 20 minutes of animation and each minute has 60 seconds each second has 12 mm-hmm. frame how am i gonna do that you do the math you feel like this is impossible but we, we we have been trained to not think that many things in advance we just break every um everyday job into hours each hour's job into minutes so we know today as long as i complete two seconds of the animation i achieved something i reached my goal so the next day you you repeat you have good days and bad days. Sometimes the shot is relatively easy. Um, nothing too much going on in this shot. So you accomplish, say, 10 seconds. So you feel like, yeah, I, I'm doing pretty good. I'm ahead of my schedule. But sometimes you have a very bad day. The animation are so complicated. And uh, you tried so many ways. It did not work. It sets you back. So you have to restart from, from the next day. Um but you just have to keep calm and telling yourself that you have done this for many years <laughs> and you always manage to, you know, finish it no matter what. So just don't think too much. Yeah, so that's, that's I, I have to tell myself every day constantly. Um, otherwise, I will go mental. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's any artists like listening to this cast right now, they're probably like nodding their heads <laughs> In agreement yes. about this. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the head. I, I've seen amazing animation, um, like the technique that I, I, I'm, I'm not even dare to, uh, to challenge myself with that. I've seen one of the artists paint the entire animation film on glass with oil paint. Mm. So it's like just 
just the technique of mastering all your painting on glass. I don't know how many years of training that will, will goes to that. And he managed to did, did do every single shot beautifully. Imagine every single frame. He will have to paint one first, then change, say, the wave a little bit. And yeah, and the most amazing, like crazy thing is the topic uh, or, or the story he chose to paint is Old Man and the Sea. Mm-hmm. You have to oil paint wave in oh. motion form. <laughs> this is the most crazy thing I've ever seen. I think this took this artist like years to complete mm. this this masterpiece. Oh. So you you know people have done this and they are willing to take this much of a challenge just to finish something that you feel like I can definitely I should I should not be complaining. I should just you know go back to work <laughs> <laughs> because this is com- compare with them. This is nothing. Our life is already very easy. I'm using a computer, a Wacom tablet to paint. I have the shortcut of Control Z, which is let me to reverse my <laughs> step. You know, <laughs> I'm already blessed. When I was in high school, I tended to do a watercolor painting, and just like thinking about trying to do that with oil, it's just I think that's like breaking my mind trying to think about like it, that. It still broke my mind <laughs> every time I thought about that. It just hands down. <laughs> but. With that said, let's talk a little bit more about the gameplay of Luna sure. and give people a little more idea about that. So, as we said at the start, this is an adventure game. And for the people listening who did not get a chance to see the spotlight we did on it, what is the general gameplay of Luna like? Uh, Luna falls into the genre of adventure game and point-and-click games. Mm-hmm. So the mechanics of this game are fairly easy. It's easy to approach for any kinds of uh, player, no matter you have uh, a lot of gaming experience or not. You simply control two characters. You can switch between them. Um, and you interact with the game by clicking on them. So there are a lot of interactable objects in the game. You, you use your mouse to control your character to walk around and uh, clicking on the object to interact with them to to solve the puzzle. So the mechanic is is just like that. It's it's quite easy. Um, also, another feature of this game is we don't have any dialogue or any text throughout the entire game. So the whole story told through wordless cinematics, animation, and the music. Um, we the reason we decide to to design a game like this is because we think it can be approached um, wider um, for the player who speak any kind of languages. We don't have to translate our game. We don't have to localize it. Uh, image and uh, animation and music are universal languages, uh, per se. Everyone can feel the same kind of emotion by looking at the character's facial expression by looking at how they move or express themselves in the game. So these are the, uh, I think, the unique point of our game. Plus, it's quite easy to to play with. You just need the mouse. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of, like, the puzzle design, the general play itself, 
From playing the demo, a big part about the game is the fact that you are controlling two separate characters. Yes. So, in terms of building like the game around that, what were some of like the general, I guess, like any kind of like general philosophy or I guess like thought process in terms of designing the puzzles of the game? Um, let me think. Uh, yes. In terms of the reason why we design, uh, we we decided to have two character in this game. First of all, is it can bring in more challenge or like loads of different experience. When you just have one character to play, you are the character uh, in a way. But now you have a secondary character. You can switch between two of them, but you will be aware of that their ability are different. You are mainly play the boy, I would say. So we, we want all the players' emotion to follow from the boy's perspective. So his little companion is kind of a side character, but later on, people will realize what will be uh, its true identity or the true relationship between them. So it, it, it makes more sense in, in a story-wise why your second character uh, behave like this. Um, so this is one of the reasons we introduced the two characters. Um, the second reason is because of Luna the Shadows is a puzzle based game. Loads of puzzle, if can be solved by cooperate, that will be more fun in our point of view. Mm-hmm. So you have to really think outside the box. Like you can solve a puzzle by logic thinking, by trying different kind of combination. Now you have two characters to play with. So it just opens more possibilities in gameplay. Mm-hmm. Now, um, yep. Oh, I was just about to say, in terms of the depth and complexity, again, when it comes to the adventure genre, we have seen mm-hmm. a very wide spectrum of challenges. With Luna, what kind of, I guess, player skill level were you aiming for? Our aim towards um, the player skill, actually, uh, our aim has changed throughout the, throughout the game development. In the very beginning, we initially want to design a game kind of purely focusing on puzzle game um, fans who are the hardcore puzzle lovers. Mm-hmm. Uh but then, uh, throughout the development, when we giving out our demo to all different kinds of player, we realized that not only the the professional player enjoys this kind of game, like their friends and family, their mom and dad, when they looking at their playing our demo, they got interested. They they asked, "Oh, this game looks quite different. The characters are very cute. What are you playing?" Then we realize this game actually has a potential to attract more player, like a casual player. Mm-hmm. All the people who even they don't play game, but they simply they just drawn by the by the visual or by the music. So we changed our strategy quite early on, like one year into the development. We think, mm-hmm. okay, this game has a, a bigger potential than we originally thought it had. So what if that we design a game uh, to 
like we, we don't want to make a game to you know to, to please the market per se but we want to make a game that more people can enjoy i don't think it's a bad thing at all mm-hmm. so we we look down we look at it all our puzzle in the game we try to order them in a way that it form a like steadily curve from easy to difficult mm-hmm. so in this way for any casual player or for any player that they don't feel this game is too challenging in the very, very beginning. So they we hopefully they were drawn by the story as well. Uh, and also each puzzle will be slightly more difficult based on the previous puzzle you you solved. So you had like a learning curve. You kind of understand what's the logic behind this puzzle. Um what kind of difficulty are you expecting? So even for the player who never ever tried a puzzle game before, I don't think this is will be too challenging for them. There are hard puzzles we want to kept specifically for those hardcore game lovers because we don't want to disappoint them either. We don't want to just say, okay, let's lower down all the difficulties so there's no challenging. That's not what we want to do uh, either. So we kept those difficult ones towards the end. Um, so that's our, so we, we changed how we designed the puzzles in, in the middle, in the middle of the development. And by the, by the look of it, it is a good call because we did attract more, more players now. Mm-hmm. And then also for the puzzle loving fans, they had their, great experience when they facing those more challenging ones. Uh, but you, but there is a, the reality is you can never make like a perfect balance between, mm-hmm. between these two. You can't make a game which is also easy and hard, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, accessible and challenging. There's, there's nothing like this exists in the world, but we hopefully that we cover the middle bit. Um, we will come to receive as much criticism as possible from any kinds of uh, any type of players. So, uh, but we hope that the experience of of the game uh, counts instead of uh, individual puzzle and how difficult is that? Because in the end of the day, Luna: The Shadow Dust, it's not a mass test. It's mm-hmm. it's not that. It's a, it's a game. It, it should be fun. So we want mm-hmm. people to enjoy them. And adventure design and puzzle gameplay, that is another one of those topics that could fit its own cast. I've spoken to uh, multiple adventure game developers over the past decade, and it is very tough to kind of figure out that balance, especially mm-hmm. what kind of audience you want to aim at. I don't know if you saw the game uh, Thimbleweed Park that came from, I always forget their names, I think uh, Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick, who are kind of like they were part of LucasArts during like their heyday back in the nineties. Uh, I don't think I'm aware of those games, but please continue. Uh, uh, they went for kind of like the old school point and click, you know, very crazy mm-hmm. puzzles. Definitely aimed more on the hard or kind of like the expert level side of things. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody like uh, Dave Gilbert of Watchet Eye who he has been making a lot of adventure games. He did the Blackwell series, Unavow, and he's working on something else right now. 
his games have definitely focused more on, I wouldn't say casual puzzles, but maybe more, you know, easy to moderately difficult on that kind mm-hmm. of design. Yeah, I, I think for individual team, this is something they really have to decide, like mm-hmm. what approach they're trying to, uh, they're trying to approach. Um, otherwise, it's going to be very difficult for themselves as well to to develop a game because mm. you have to accept that your game is not going to please everyone. Yep. So, but what really important to, to them, to us, is what kind of game that we want to do. It can be um, criticized by hardcore player that it's too easy, but if this is something we want to lean towards, we have to accept that people will cl- complain about the puzzle is not challenging enough. And one thing that I always find fascinating is when developers talk about balancing and rebalancing a puzzle in a game. Because this is something that for the consumer, they only look at things as obviously what the finished puzzle is. You know, what's the, what's the challenge? What's the solution? How do I accomplish this? With Aluna, and as you and your team were going through, as you said, you kind of, so much you redesigned as well as restructured the ordering for the puzzles. Mm-hmm. How did you kind of decide, is this puzzle too hard? And how do we fix that or how do we adjust things to make it easier? Oh, yes, this is very challenging. Uh, the only way to to do it to adjust it i i don't think we ever ever solve the problem but in but we're trying to adjust each puzzle um as many times as possible by giving out to all different kind of player to to play it mm-hmm. there are four of us and we have our set background some of us played a lot of puzzle game so we can easily think oh this puzzle is so easy you know it's not difficult at all but if I give it to someone who had never played the puzzle game before, it can be really, really challenging because mm-hmm. they don't know where to start from. Yep. So we, we have to make sure we cover uh, our test, the test player that we invited to, to try our game. They have to be scattered through different um, audience. Like we invite our parents who sometimes never played game before to try our game. We also give it to uh, industry um, expert who are their game game level designer. This is their job. So so we give their we give our demo to to everyone. So then we collect everyone's feedback. We will come up with a relatively um, neutral understanding of whether this puzzle is difficult or not. So. Um, we have to collect as many data as possible. Also, there are some puzzles. Mm, funny enough that when, when we go to some game show, we, we had our demo with us. There are so many different age group player come and try our game. Some puzzle, the kids, they just solve it like in, in mm-hmm. one minute, but their parents stuck there for a very long time. So this is really fascinating, uh, for us, we, we really want to know why the kids can solve it so so quickly. Yeah. Uh, turns out that because they haven't had that many experience yet uh, in gaming, so they don't have a set mind set mindset of how you're supposed to play a game. 
Like yes. nowadays, when we open the game, we instantly went for that play button. We don't look at anything else. We just want to click that button and start to play the game. And we also kind of subconsciously expecting reward every every other step. And um, so if there's no feedback or the, if there's no reward, we, we tend to think, oh, am I, uh, is there a bug? Or am I doing anything wrong? Mm-hmm. So this kind of pre preconception does not um, uh, does not exist for kids. So they don't really care about how a game design is supposed to be. So they just purely enjoying uh, in the moment. So a lot of a lot of our the puzzle in our game require the player to observe the surroundings, the environment. And then if we are not used to this, because if we just assume, okay, that's just background, mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the game. It's just there for the purpose of, uh, of being a background of a game. So we, we don't even look at what's being drawn on those walls. But the kids, they don't really think like this. They just fascinated. They say, oh, on this picture, you have a rabbit here. You have some weird symbol over there. They look everywhere. And that's where we put our hint in our game because our game don't have any dialogue. We have to use every inch of the space visually to give out visual clue, visual hint to us, to our player. So that's why the kids, they, when they start to really look, they get the hint, then they pass the level. Compared with their parents, they try to click everywhere to find an object you can interact. So that's the big difference. And when, when we have, we have cert, uh, quite a few of this kind of puzzle in the early stage of the game. So the reason we put them in the early part is we want to kind of break the people's, um, normal point of view of what a game or what a puzzle game is supposed to be like. So once they get the idea, say, okay, this game actually, I have to look. I can't just ignore the background to assume it's there for absolutely no reason. Once they change their mindset, the game become more enjoyable, hopefully more enjoyable <laughs> towards them. And then they can, their, their imagination will just uh, explode and they will start to look at everywhere and everywhere they look. Hopefully we have nice animation, nice visual prepared for them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very fascinating because that's actually going to be uh, part of my next question about how different people approach puzzle games and puzzle design. And that is another like very, you know, in-depth topic we could certainly spend some time talking about. <laughs> yeah. And yes. this again like goes back to kind of puzzle development as a whole because there are games that tend to feature puzzles that are more, I guess, I'm not sure what will be the correct term here. I always use like kind of like out of universe puzzles, such mm-hmm. as like instead like you walk up to a computer and it forces you to play a game of tic tac toe, or uh, you have to solve like actually put together a little puzzle piece. While some puzzle games do things very much in universe, and that mm-hmm. seems like something more along the lines of Luna that you are exploring this space and trying to figure out just what this puzzle is going to entail. And there are people, and again, like puzzle design, just kind of like that kind of critical thinking and logic skills. 
some people are going to have a far easier time, and some people are just going to be completely stumped at it. I know people who can play, like, any adventure game, and they figure it out very quickly. And then there are some puzzles that I cannot solve no matter what. And for fans listening to this, they know what I'm going to bring up here. Like, anything that's, like, a musical-based puzzle or listening to, like, notes or beats... I can't solve those. Like, I have no ear towards music in any way like that. And there are some puzzles that I'll just know immediately what their solution is. And one thing that you said I thought was very interesting is about kind of approaching these games with preconceived notions or trying to have like that, like the affordances of what goes into these puzzles. Because I think I'm very much that same way, that whenever I come to a puzzle and adventure game, or to any kind of gameplay or challenge in a game, I immediately think about, okay, what have I played before that is related to this? And more often than not, when I get stumped at a puzzle in any game, it's because I expected X, and the game really said, no, you're supposed to do it like Y. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know exactly what we're talking about because, um, w- uh, funny enough, you mentioned music puzzle. We have a music Uh-oh. puzzle in Luna. <laughs> oh, no. But this is very interesting. I really want to use this as an example of um, hope to give you a peace of mind, uh, ease that um, I think you will not be stuck on this puzzle the way you think you will be. <laughs> so w- when we design a music puzzle, because music puzzles are very popular in loads of different kind of puzzle games. Yes. It's kind of um, it's kind of a template. You have to have a music puzzle there because people love it. So that's one of the reasons we introduced um, a music puzzle. But then we realized music puzzle, as you say, it is very hard for the people who don't have the ear to, you know, hear all those tunes and write them down. If you don't have any music training, uh, a music puzzle can stuck you for a very long time. Mm-hmm. This is, it happens to me as well. I, I love music, but I don't have the ear to instantly solve it. So we really sit down as a whole team to talk about, okay, we would like to keep this puzzle in our game, but how are we going to make sure that everyone can enjoy the puzzle rather than just be stuck because we don't want to stuck anyone that's not fun that's not something we want we want to do otherwise design a puzzle game will be too easy you just have loads of level in each level you give them mass equation to solve do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that's not a good game it's not fun at all um so the re uh so our solution is um we also introduce some sort of hint that connects with the music, but more visual based. Mm-hmm. Like if for the people who has golden ear, they can just simply listen to the tune and probably figure out how to solve the puzzle. But for the people who don't have this ability, they can try different hint. Those hints work together with the music note. So you can choose the two that works for you to solve this puzzle in, in this level. So in this case, I think everyone, we, we tested that um, it might sound contradictive, 
but it is a music puzzle you can actually solve by not even turn on your speaker. <laughs> I know this sounds weird, but uh, but we definitely don't want to make the puzzle incredibly hard or something you have to uh, of, of, or some puzzle that you require people to have tons of puzzle game experience in order to play. Because we're aiming towards someone who probably never played a game before. So we have to make this very friendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, as friendly as possible, <laughs> I, I would say. Also, because this puzzle, it is a music puzzle, it is mm, medium, the difficulty falls into like a medium towards hard part. So that's why we don't, we didn't put that in the beginning of the game. We slightly shuffled it towards the uh, the middle second half of the game. We hope by, if you never played any puzzle game, but by playing Luna, you had experience, say, 10 level. So by then, you will have some sort of experience or some sort of uh, preparation of how to solve the puzzle in Luna. And that should be enough for the player to push through this level, we hope. <laughs> Well, I do have your email, so if I do get stumped, I can send you, I can ask for (laughs) advice there. Ask me anything, yes. (laughs) And, again, it's very fascinating about how some of these puzzles play out. And I know earlier in the cast, uh, we talked a little bit about kind of your background with the adventure genre and joining those kinds of games. So for the people listening... What were like, or what are some of like your favorite adventure, or just like favorite games to play in general? I play all kinds of game. I don't really have a like a fixed genre that I only played. Mm-hmm. So for me, the most attractive um, element will will be the visual, as you can imagine. So any beautiful, uh, Stunning visual-looking game. I will inst- it will instantly grab me, and I will I will go and want to play. Genre-wise, I like adventure. I like narrative-related uh, game. I like puzzle game big time. I'm a big time puzzle game lover. So the game I played a lot uh, recently are um, like all the games from Animata Studio. They have their Machinerium Samurai oh, yes. series. Oh, they are a fantastic game. Um, like couple of two years ago, I think uh, Gorogoa was out. It's one of the hand-drawn puzzle puzzle game as well. Also, don't have any dialogue, so it's definitely one of the masterpiece. I I really really enjoy that game. Also, like action-based game like Hollow Knight. I just mentioned mm-hmm. Cuphead. I'm I'm not very good at the action part, <laughs> but because of the the visual is so attractive. I it pushes me to you know just I, I just want to try my best to get into the second uh, second level so I can see more beautiful art. So that's something drive me to play this kind of game as well. Unfortunately, since we start designing our own game, we don't have any time to play any <laughs> game anymore. <laughs> so we just um, I hopefully that we will I have like. 30, 20 games in our, in my wish list in my account. <laughs> I bought all of them. I haven't had any chance to start any of them. So after this, uh, after all the things settled, when we have some little bit of free time, I'm going to play all of them. <laughs> I'm really looking forward <laughs> to those times. Mm-hmm. 
And, and for me, with all the work that I do with game wisdom and getting keys from developers, I have, I think the last time I tried, I have a good like three, four hundred games in my Steam library that I've not even wow. played yet, <laughs> let wow. alone everything else. And it just keeps growing and growing thanks to like like bundles and sales and all that. Like I'll, I don't think I'm ever going to get a chance to get through them all. So, <laughs> so I, I have a com- comfort thinking that. This will be my retirement entertainment <laughs> when I'm in my 60s, 70s. You know, when I finally don't have to work anymore, I'm gonna play all the game I ever purchased <laughs> from the beginning towards the end. Probably mm. I can't even finish that. God knows how many games I will own by then. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and it's definitely like crazy about like so many of those games. Like again, like with Hollow Knight, I know that I have friends who could not like play that game. There are some people I've spoken to who completely bounced off of it for its difficulty. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, the Samurai games, because that's another really impressive aesthetic one. Um, yes. One adventure game I really liked from the past decade was the Dream Machine, that they went for a literally a handmade aesthetic. Everything is made out like real props, kind of stop motion. Which I thought mm-hmm. was just fascinating. Oh uh, yes, those are um, it's another level <laughs> of yes. uh, pro- productivity, and uh, I really admire people who still making games like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Summerrest is it's quite similar to that. I I watched a lot of documentary mm-hmm. of how they make their game. They take photo, real photograph or the photo of real object that sometimes even handmade props mm-hmm. and then then turning bring it back into the computer and uh, color it or or have create special effect around it 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 just i can't even i don't know how to do it myself i have mm-hmm. really no idea so these people are super talented and um, this is something I, I think people are not giving up on doing anything handcraft is is one of my big uh, admire towards them because nowadays you feel the technology is definitely there to help anyone to start to build any game like unity is free to use you have so many assets you can download from from their library you have tutorials on on youtube to teach you from coding to draw but um, aside from that um, really make things by hand uh, people are still doing that in the world. It's 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 fantastic, and uh, I would love to hand make something, some model, and turn into a, a a game in the future. What one of my favorite game is from nineties. Uh, it's a clay animation, mm. clay stop motion animation game called the Neverhood. Yes, they have to build the entire set by hand. Uh, making stop motion animation for this character by hand <laughs> so mm-hmm. the amount of work they're doing is like almost filming uh, <laughs> making a film yes and i was yeah. going to bring that up too like as a child i always had that fascination with like that kind of clay animation or that stop motion clay aesthetic yes this is almost even stop motion is a kind of animation technique that not only few studio are still doing that. One of them is the Ardman from uh, the UK. Mm-hmm. 
they they still making like a Wallace and Gromit series, and they yes. every other year they they brought out this clay stop motion animation, uh, fantastic. And uh, who's the other director? Um, the guy who made Fantastic Fox, Mister Fantastic Fox, yeah. Will Anderson. Will Anderson, yeah. Yes, yes, he is one of the very unique director as well. He yeah. has. His thing for this stop motion, very tangible feeling. I, I read one of his um, book. He was talking about that. You know, when you hand um, handle this model frame by frame, sometimes you because they have fur on their model, mm-hmm. you will the furs will slightly being pressed or be smirched uh-huh. a little bit each frame. To many people's eye, it might seem like um, not perfection, but for him, this is actually the beauty of hand stop and uh, of stop motion animation because you can really tell each frame is handled by a real human being and they left their mark on this model. Mm-hmm. And I know the studio Leica. I think that's what they're called. They like Coraline. Uh, I think Kubo and the Two Strings. I know they do a lot with stop motion, oh, yes. and I've I've like every time I've seen one of their movies, I watch like their little like behind the scenes featurettes for that. And again, like it's just so amazing to see, you know, how this comes together, and like <laughs> it's just like crazy to me, like how like two seconds of footage like of that movie probably took like hours of getting like all the right shots and all the right motion done yeah it's um i find the people who tackle stop motion technique problem really really creative Mm -hmm. because you can easily solve this by just doing using cgi but they try not to they are giving themselves very hard time every day (laughs) so Mm -hmm. sometimes i want to ask them why why are you doing this to yourself (laughs) But they always, um, I, I think if you stay within your comfort zone, you never realize how many, uh, what potential you, you had within yourself. Like you've never been given a hard question by trying to solve it. And you never realize you can actually solve it. Mm-hmm. Probably not through the normal way. You can you know, either go around it or even sometimes cheat it. But you, you find your way of solving that problem. And the satisfaction of solving that, same as mm-hmm. playing puzzle game, I guess, it's, um, it's the biggest feeling in the world. Mm-hmm. And I actually did an interview with one of the developers of the Dream Machine. I should, oh, cool. I should totally get uh, uh, you and him together for like a cast. We could just spend like two, three hours just like geeking out about aesthetics <laughs> and animation. <laughs> Yes, I, I will. I will be like, show me your studio, please, right now. I want to go there. <laughs> Bring this back to Luna. One thing that I wanted mm-hmm. to touch on for the people listening, in terms of the overall structure of the game, one of the big things that kind of differentiates certain adventure games from each other is this idea of kind of like a puzzle room mentality, as in each room being its own separate, you know, microcosm of a puzzle. Versus kind mm-hmm. of like the old school way where you have multiple screens and you never know what items or what solutions will work where. And mm-hmm. this is something that I think is another one of those big dividing lines between like what kind of adventure games people like. 
because mm-hmm. there are puzzle games where basically your thought process amounts to take every item in your inventory and just like throw it everything on the screen hope something <laughs> interacts with something else and then there are more of those puzzle games where it is very much that kind of focus and i already know the answer to this one having played a demo but for the people listening what was the approach for luna in Luna, in the very beginning of the development, we had this huge debate of whether we want to keep a uh, inventory system in the game or not. By including that, it will save us, actually, the developer, a lot of time in designing puzzles mm-hmm. because we have more possibilities. We can, based on the items that player collect, then from there we, we try to think, okay, how are we going to design the next puzzle uh, but also we really aware of there there are uh, it's my own experience as well like the in some game I collect millions of items but then I will I will try them on on the interactive project uh, object or one by one some of them I know it's not even gonna work mm-hmm. but I just want to I, I just don't want I just be just in case. Uh, they might interactive in a weird way. I don't know. So having that experience, it's not necessarily a bad experience. Sometimes you have very fun outcome out of those uh, try. But mm-hmm. I do want people to have more time focusing on um, the story or the puzzle itself instead of spending loads of time trying things unnecessarily. So in the end, we decide to remove the inventory system. Also, it frees out the interface space as well. We don't want to have too many UI buttons uh, hovering around in front of uh, the player because there will be the constant reminder of them that you are playing a, a game. There mm-hmm. are buttons to click. So by remove as much button as possible, towards the end, we only have one button left in the screen which are the switch character buttons. You, we, we kind of have to have it there, otherwise it will be too difficult for, for players to, to even play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it is hardcore uh, to, to make that um, by removing the inventory system, uh, it, it gives us a lot more challenging of now we really have to think how each character can interact with, with the object. If the object is a, is a handle, we need to introduce the animation of you pulling the handle. We can't just drag a key from the bag and drop onto the door and uh, you expect <laughs> the door to be open. So that, that's how, that, that's why inventory is very, very useful for developers. Um, yeah. but we, we decide, uh, to go for the challenging way. Um, but you, we had a solution. The solution is just we have to do extra work. We have to <laughs> make sure that all the interaction between character and the object, you have a nice animation to present. If you have a handle, we want the character to, to reach out, to push the handle, or to close a drawer, you know, to click a button or something like this. Um, it does increase the production time a little bit, but we think the outcome is worth that. Mm-hmm. And like we were saying, it does 
actually afford you or it kind of forces you as a designer to think more creatively about these kinds of puzzles. Because you can't just rely on, as you said, take key from inventory, use it on door, and that solves the entire thing. And from the demo that I played, I kind of saw that with kind of was like the, uh, I guess it was like a wine press that you had to interact with. And you yes. had to make use of the two characters. And again, we, I'm not going to spoil the solution for the people listening there. No, yes, that, that particular level has a lot of this kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. So um, it really challenged that, uh, challenged us to think a lot of things ahead. Like if mm-hmm. you want to interact with anything, the position of this object has yes. to be fixed because the character can only reach this high or can only say if the button is on the wall, you have to build a ladder for him. Then you have to calculate how tall is the ladder. Then you have to think, how's the ladder animation is going to work? He's going to climb up and he has to be climbed down. So it just a lot of um, extra thinking you you have to do, but it makes the game more lifelike, as were you saying the term of like in our universe. Mm-hmm. Because in in our daily life, there's no inventory <laughs> that ho- hover in front of you that you can just draw drag and drop. <laughs> so you have to do every single thing by hand. You have to climb the ladder. You have to press the button. Yeah. And going back to what we were saying a few minutes ago regarding kind of different knowledge bases coming to these puzzle games, I think that's another really good example of how kind of like affordances and preconceived notions may hurt somebody, is that obviously with Luna, with everything being hand-drawn, hand-animated, you design a lot of like, I'm not sure I would use the term bonus animations, but kind of the animations that play out when the player does something that isn't the correct solution. So, mm-hmm, yeah. as an example, I decided to use the creature. I tried to put him up so he would get sucked into the machine because I thought that would be something that could send him up and we could do something along those lines. So, obviously, an animation plays there. Now, if you were if you're a hardcore adventure player, you may assume that any animation, anything like that, is an actual clue or a part of the solution. Where if you didn't have that, you just think to yourself, okay, that didn't work. What could be another thing I can do in this room or within the space to try and solve this puzzle? Yes, we have to um, sometimes to to think not as a developer, but also as player. Mm-hmm. We have to play like two roles at the same time. We have to consider how many possibility that a player might come up with. Mm-hmm. Like um, this is why a test play is very crucial and we just stand it behind them and observe them. So we want to see Different people think things different way. It's so amazing. Sometimes yes. we see the clue is right in front of him, but he will try a very different way <laughs> to 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 go around this clue or something. But this is very valuable observation for us. It really provides us different perspective of different people. Like sometimes people are very visual. They see things that other people can't see. Sometimes people mm-hmm. are very uh, logical. They uh, I've, I've seen like people's 
play our demo, they are the click gland, click gang. So they click everywhere, click, 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 crazy clickers. And they are the thinking gang, which they, they just cross hand and sit in front of the computer yeah. and think without clicking anywhere. So people approach a puzzle very differently. So we, we kind of have to collect all their way of thinking to um, presume how many different route people might take. And any possibility, any possible route they might try, we have to, even they, by doing that, it's not going to solve the puzzle. But we have to make sure that all the animation is there. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, um, you doesn't feel like this team is trying to cheat mm-hmm. on like a, a making loads of shortcuts. Like we, we don't have to do that. We can just block that access, like a block that tube, make sure that you cannot use that tube. You, but people might think that we, it's, this can be a, a way of solving the puzzle. So we respect that. And uh, in order to, um, we sometimes make achievement out of that as well. So if sometimes people try <laughs> a different way of approaching the puzzle, but they failed, but instead of just saying, oh, you failed, we give them an achievement from Steam to encourage them to think differently. Because in this level, this weird way of thinking might not solve the puzzle, but you don't know whether in the next level that thinking outside box like this will, will you know, unlock the, the door or not. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't want people to give up their imagination. Um, to fall into a pattern. So tr- try to think wildly as much as possible. And uh, it, is, it is really fun because sometimes in real life, uh, you really have to think a very weird way to, to solve an issue. And uh, that's where most of the creativity spark. Mm-hmm. By, not, by doing the thing not the usual way. And uh, I, I think any any people, no matter you works in the creativity industry or you're a programmer, um, this is something should be um, uh, should be acknowledged and cherished. Like ask people to, you know, no matter how you solve the puzzle, if you can solve it, um, it's a good thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I think going back to what you're saying with regards to having people approach things differently like that. You have to be really careful. Like, this is something that not only sense from the adventure genre, but action-based games, any games that feature more, like, action-focused puzzles. Games such as the Talos Principle, the Swapper. I'm sure there's more that I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Where, as the player, if you try something and there is no feedback whatsoever... Mm-hmm. They're never going to realize, you know, did I do this right, but it's the yes. wrong solution? Or is this the right solution? Or did I just not do things in the proper order or in the right uh, way? Yes, this is something very crucial in game level design. Mm-hmm. It's something that um, separates reality from game, I would say, in a way. Because in, in reality... You don't always give receive negative feedback to tell you you are doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. But in the end of the day, Luna is a game. So 
it has to follow certain game design protocol, I would say, that people are familiar with, that universally understand. So one of these feedback things um, you mentioned is very, very crucial uh, in, in the game design, that we, we're trying to, um, trying to remind ourselves that if a player got stuck here, will he have enough feedback or hint uh, to guide him from the wrong route to the correct way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and um, we did some, this is a, a challenge that we trying to balance out, but we, we have to admit that in some level, we think we achieved it, but in some other level, it's, it's still lacking. Like we could have um, make the feedback clearer or stronger. But it also, it contradicts in a way that if you click something, then, um, that it gives you a very artificial negative feedback. Will it disturb the game experience? Do you know, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, like we, 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 yeah, we can easily have a sound effect say B, you know, mm-hmm. to tell you you are doing it wrong. But yeah. this is too artificial. This is too pretentious. Yeah. And it does work, but it kills the experience of the gameplay. Yeah. And, what's, uh, and I think another issue is that if it's just like a generic noise or like a generic alert, the player mm-hmm. won't know what part of the process they're messing up on. Because mm-hmm. another major part of some of these more complicated puzzles is that it can be a multi-step or a multi-stage puzzle that you have to solve. Mm-hmm. And again, as you said, without getting that kind of negative feedback or just any feedback, it can leave somebody just scratching their heads going, why isn't this working? You know, I you know mm-hmm. clicked on everything, I pulled the levers, I hit the switches, it's still not opening. Yes. Um, yes, this is very, very tricky. And uh, we, we spend a lot of time doing test play to see whether our feedback is strong enough or sometimes too strong. If it's too strong, it disturbs the player. We, we have to reduce it. In certain level, we once had, like, um, say, the paintings are moving on the wall. So uh, originally, the, the idea just to want to bright up the room a little bit, to throw a little bit of more animation into the room, decorative the moon a little bit more, but then it, it become a wrong signal for the player. People start to look at this pure decorated purpose piece to think it's actually a clue, but actually it's not. So we have to remove some of this element, which is are too destructive for, for player, unfortunately. Um, and then for anything that it's not interactable, we do not have any mouse cursor. When you hover on top of them, it does not change. So we hopefully by doing that, people can understand that if you can't click on it, you can't interact with it. Mm-hmm. If you can interact with it, the mouse cursor will change, will give you a hint that, yes, this is interactable, or you can actually reach here, something like this. Mm-hmm. And we've seen many adventure games where the strategy, again, is just like throw your mouse over everything in the room and see what things are interactable and just like try and brute force the puzzle like that. 
um, people still do that, no matter uh, <laughs> yes. how you design a game. Um, if you introduce a mouse cursor, people will c- uh, click everywhere. Um, this is something, I think, a habit that we unfortunately can't get rid of after we've been using computer for, for so long. You, 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 you just think there must be somewhere you might miss and uh, you, you try to click. Unfortunately, um, there is no 100% solution towards that. By introducing the mouse cursor change things, we, we hope we have already give enough hint for the players. Um, also, when people move the mouse, their speed are different. Some, sometimes people move mouse quite slowly. So they, when the cursor actually change, they have enough time to see it. But some people, some player move their mouse very quickly. So those change only appear split a second. You, you missed it very easily. We've seen that, uh, millions of times when we see people play our demo and we are like, oh, you just missed that. But we can't tell them. <laughs> Grinch. Um, yes, we, we, we received a lot of different, even more feedback now because the game is out there. We have hundreds, thousands of people playing it. Um, we are collecting even more feedback and data that we, we, we could not collect before. So hopefully by updating the build in our next round, we can improve some of the issue that where people really, really stru- stuck on certain level, we can throw a little bit of a hint there or, you know, make player life just a little bit easier, like hand tune, um, some of the details. Uh, ho- yeah, and also all of this experience is gonna be very, very valuable for us if we want to make uh, a future game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, like with these kinds of design iterations, and like we said, with the game being released already, it's gonna give you a chance to get a lot more of that feedback. And there's a, like I always say with these cats, like every time we talk about, we could spend like an extra hour or so on when it comes to these things. And feedback and playtesting is a big one, especially again, like we said, with the different skill set and knowledge base when it comes to adventure game fans. Uh, yes. Um, game, we, we are very limited on resources of game test ourselves. So we heavily rely on, uh, thank God, like our publishers, they introduce their team and their professional team to do professional game tests. And uh, there's a huge difference between professional game tests and just normal players yes. play test our game. They, I, 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 I never really um, know that the way they work is this much intense. I thought it would be really cool to you know, apply for a job for a game tester. You just play game all day. No, absolutely not. That is not their fault. And that's, that's why they are the professionals. They not only have to play your game 100 million times different way, in different way, but they have to also be able to recreate uh, any bug. Otherwise, the bug report doesn't mean anything for us. We cannot fix it. You have to, they have to show us how exactly they trigger the bug. And by reoccurring the bug from our side, then we can have 
the knowledge of what's the problem are and how we're going to tackle them. Mm. So this is definitely a professional job. And uh, I have high respect towards professional game tester. <laughs> also, the f- funny thing is, uh, like I heard from my, from my friend that nowadays some of the company provide dash cam for <laughs> professional oh. game tests. So they record everything and uh, so it saves lots of their time. All of them on back of their head, you have a dash cam <laughs> recording your game uh, debugging process. <laughs> Shout out to any QA people listening to this cast right now. <laughs> yes, thank you, QA people. We can't re- reach here without you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. But I know we're starting to run a little bit long. So mm-hmm. is there anything regarding the gameplay or any more about the aesthetic of Luna that we didn't touch on that you would like to bring up now? Um, I think we pretty much game-wise covered everything. Like um, the, the only thing probably I want to have a little bit touch is that our, our game, like our studio... Uh, London studio, four of us, we all actually work across the, the globe. I'm based in London. Our music composer Susie is in Toronto. Our manager and programmer is in Shanghai. This is actually, if people ask me what's the biggest challenge throughout the whole four years, I will say this is. Um, working remotely with your teammate is really, really difficult. And then we, we didn't have a choice. So we, we have to, in the beginning, we know we have to do this for a, a long time, but we didn't know we we're going to do it for four years. <laughs> so, um, but for any indie team out there that, uh, are facing all kinds of difficulty, financial difficulty, like you don't have an office or you don't have enough resources. Um, I will say, uh, believe yourself that there were always a way that you can, you can figure out something. It might take a bit longer. Uh, it, do, it doesn't really matter. And um, always go and ask for help. We, we met so many other devs, indie devs, from different game festival, Gamecom, on our social media. We received enormous amount of help from everywhere. Uh, this community is fantastic. The game community, indie game community, so this is something, if anyone out there is listening who know us, know some of us, that I would like to say thank you very much. And yeah, again, like as somebody who's been interviewing indie devs and just people in the industry for the last 10 years, it is a fascinating feel and really becomes, you know, a case where, you know, everybody knows everybody kind of thing. Yeah. I scratch your back, you scratch my, and uh, indies forever. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a, a great sentiment to end the cast on. So, uh, to wrap things up, like we said, Luna the Shadow Dust is out now. For the people listening, what platforms is it available on? You can find our game on Steam, on GOG.com, Humble Store, Max App Store, and Windows Store at the moment. Okay. And are you planning on any other platforms? Yes, our future task uh, that coming after this launch will be we try to cover some console platform. Mm-hmm. Nintendo Switch are very popular among uh, our players, so we're definitely thinking to porting our game on Nintendo Switch next. We initially want to cover as much as platform as possible. 
So um, mobile platform or other console like PS or Xbox, we will do them one by one. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So if if you would like to know which platform Luna will be coming next, please follow us on our social media, our website. We will update to everyone as soon as we know. Great. And I always like to ask this question to developers. Have you already started thinking about the next game for Lantern? Oh, <laughs> we had a lot of, like, not even ideas, like, scattering around here and there the possibility of what a potential next game is is going to be. Uh, but they are all still in very, very early stage. Nothing really solid yet. But when you are doing creative work like Luna, there are a lot of leftover ideas. We have a lot of leftover ideas that we haven't been able to put into this game. So probably from some of them, they will become the seed of our our next games. Who knows? But at the moment, we are solely focusing on uh, trying to cover other platform, um, bring Luna to as many players as possible. Yeah, so if we have a new idea at some point, and we will definitely be uh, like to come back to the show and talk about it. That would be great. So with that, my final question then for you is, do you have anything you'd like to end the cast on, like uh, anything you'd like to say to the fans listening? Uh, we thank all our fans everywhere who have been supporting us throughout the journey from Kickstarter, on our Twitter account, Discord, Reddit, uh, any social media website, uh, all those streamers and YouTubers we, we talk to, that uh, you guys played our game, and uh, we love watching other people play our game. It's just one of the fun thing highlight for us now. Um, yes, and also thanks to our publisher, and uh, thanks to George, who helped a lot on promoting our game on the social media platform. Um, yes, and then to everyone who supported us along the way. Thank you. Awesome. All right. So with that, we are going to wrap things up for this week's cast. Uh, ben, I, it was a pleasure hanging out with you this afternoon. It's absolutely my pleasure to be on the show. I would love to come back more often. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, my email is always open, and for anyone listening who is working in the industry or teaching design, we are always looking for new guests for our live and recorded casts. Again, uh, congratulations with the release of Luna, and best of luck uh, to you and the rest of the studio with what comes next. Thank you very much, George. Thank you. Not a problem. Uh, before we go, do you have any social media you would like to plug? Social media, uh, you can find us on everywhere, I would say. We have Twitter, YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook, Discord channel, and uh, Reddit. Um, you can find all those links on our website. Great. And I'll be sure to include a few of those in the description of the podcast down below. That would be great. Not a problem. So, for everybody listening, we're going to end things for this week's cast. 
And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at GWBicer. We have our Discord channel open to everybody, as well as our Patreon, patreon.com slash GWBicer. Your donations help to keep things going and get you access to perks such as Game Engine on our thank you page, as well as ad-free versions of our videos and design talks. We'll be back next week for another great discussion on the art and design of games here, as always, on Game Wisdom. Until next time, take care.